Hey guys, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Broadway Talks, where I sit down with Broadway stars and discuss the magic that is theater. In this episode, I'm joined by Adrian Walker, who currently stars as Nala in The Lion King on Broadway. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Rob. How are you? How are you holding up? I, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. It's been an interesting six months. Uh, I remember when we got the... <laughs> the notice that we, w- we wouldn't be returning to work, I kind of felt a little relief because I think my body just needed that break. Mm-hmm. But now that it's been six months, I'm definitely ready to go back to right. work. <laughs> right. So um, before we get into, you know, Broadway and your national tours and everything incredible you've done, I want to know, like, right at the very beginning, how did you get introduced to this world? You know what? It's all just by chance. It's it's so much by chance because when I started undergrad, I had every intention of becoming a choral instructor. I had a huge choral background. I loved choral singing, the arrangements, everything about it. So I wanted to be a choral instructor. I didn't see a lot of black choral instructors in my experience, in my life, in my childhood. And I wanted to contribute to that. And so I went to Spelman College and by my sophomore year that had all changed and I wanted to be an opera singer. Oh, and wow. yeah, so so I went to grad school for that and it was when I was in grad school that I auditioned for like a kind of tapered down version of Porgy and Bess. It right. was being uh performed at uh Court Theater in Hyde Park. And I went out, I went up for it. And it's so funny because it was like my first equity call. And I didn't know anything about equity auditions. I didn't know about the rules. I didn't know that it was a union. I didn't know anything. Like I was starting- So you weren't equity up until that point? No, I wasn't equity. It took me three years to uh, get uh, get my equity card after I did that production. But you can go to, or you can crash equity calls. So you can like show up non-union and wait your turn and audition. But at this point, I didn't know that. I just thought it was a regular audition. You know, coming from the classical world, you get an appointment, you show up, you sing. That's it. There was no uh, equity rules or anything like that when you are uh, in, opera, in opera or doing that track. So I showed up and I actually had a class I needed to get to that morning. And so I went to the monitor and I said, hey, you know, I have to get to my class at 11. Is there any way you can see me sooner? And she was like, uh, that's not how this works. If you want to be seen sooner, you need to ask everyone in front of you on this list. And I was like, oh, okay. And I looked at the list and I went and I asked everyone uh, if I could be seen. And they all said yes. So I went in there, I auditioned. I in- eventually, I had a callback and another callback and I eventually did book the job. And that was my first musical theater production. And I met a lot of cool people in that production. And they kind of turned me on to musical theater. And they were like, look, Adrian, you know, in the meantime, while you're waiting for your voice to develop and you're waiting to like turn 35, uh, why don't you check out this theater scene in Chicago? Because I was in Chicago at the time. And yeah, that's I, a I don't huge know if you're theater familiar scene. with it. Huge theater, yes, huge theater uh, community in Chicago. So it was a perfect place to start. And that was the beginning of it all for me. (laughs) It's a very late bloomer. Right. And so how did you kind of, so your first audition was kind of your first job that you booked as well. And that's so unheard of. So did you continue studying opera in university after you booked the musical theater job? Or were you still not sure about which direction you wanted to go in? 
I did finish the program. The program was only two years. So when I booked Porgy and Bess, they actually cast the show a year in advance. So I had another year to complete. And I think our first rehearsal was in April. So I organized it at my program to complete my recital and my exams and everything else I needed to get done before that first rehearsal. So I kind of graduated a little early and went straight into Porgy and Bess rehearsals and the production and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so after all that, obviously you are now Nala in the Lion King on Broadway. Yeah. And I mean, that's so cool because Lion King is such a, it's one of the most famous Broadway productions ever. And so I have to assume the audition process was rough for that. So can you tell me more about it? Yes, I'm excited to talk about this. I'm actually, uh, I, I just started a YouTube channel and I'm actually going to talk about this in extreme detail on that channel. So I'm excited to talk about it again. Uh, okay, so. I was on tour with Dirty Dancing and I got a call from my agent letting me know that the Lion King was looking for replacements. So my original audition was a tape because I couldn't leave the tour several times. And they, I sent in the tape <laughs> and then I got a call back from that. So after that, it all went pretty quickly for me, which I know in the Lion King world is kind of unheard of because usually they have auditions throughout the year and they just kind of keep people on a roster and they call mm -hmm. them in when they need replacements because usually when people book the Lion King, they don't want to leave because there's a lot of insecurity in this profession. So if you book a job that gives you job security, you stick around. Um, so anyway, for my callback, I was, I flew to New York and I did a couple of auditions the first day for the production team. And then the second audition was for the producers and the production team. And in that audition, all I needed to do was sing Shadowland and do the argument scene with Simba. Mm -hmm. And then the next day was actually a pretty difficult day for me because it was the movement call for Nala. Oh, and okay. I am, I mean, I just told you my background. So I am not really a mover or a dancer. I can, I need a little more time, you know, with dance calls, they teach you the counts and then they're like, okay, perform it. And you're like, oh, I just need like a couple more days. Like that's okay. where I am. Of course. So uh, the movement call was pretty challenging, um, but I just tried to tell the story. That's, I was like, the, the, the one thing I can do is try to tell the story, even though I don't really feel comfortable with this movement right now. <laughs> uh, so it started with five of us and then it went down to two. And when it came down to two of us, uh, they, they had us put on the Nala head and actually do some Javanese and Balinese movement in the oh, room, wow. which was really cool. Yeah. And, and, and so were we you like informed in advance of that so you could prepare it or no, you were just told on the spot? On the spot, on the spot. Our director, John Stefanik, he really likes to catch people by surprise. It's just the way he works. So um, everything was definitely a surprise. Even them bringing in the Nala heads. I had no clue. My hair was out. I had to like prep it so that I could put this <laughs> head on. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the girl that I was auditioning with, she was so great. She had such a lovely spirit, such a lovely energy. And it was just a positive experience overall. And once we left, I headed to the airport. And by the time I got off the air train, which is what you take to get to JFK, right. I had a voicemail from my agent telling me that I had booked the job. 
Oh, so like that, really? Yeah, it was really fast. It was really fast. Yeah, because that's what I've heard of, especially for like Disney theatricals, which is the company that makes all these Disney Broadway shows. They, like even for Aladdin or a lot of these shows, like they always are holding auditions just in case they need to. So yeah, it's so unheard of that they casted you so quickly right after. Like, And so were you still on tour with Dirty Dancing when you booked this or... I was. I was still on tour with Dirty Dancing. I believe I booked the show in, I booked The Lion King in March, and my contract for The Lion King would start in June for a, a four-week rehearsal process, and then my debut was going to be July 5th. So uh, I spoke with the producers on Dirty Dancing, or my agent spoke with them, and they got me an out, because the Dirty Dancing tour was supposed to end, uh, I think, a week before I started overlapped a week my contract overlapped a week so they were they were okay with me leaving and just using um uh, alana who they had as my understudy on tour to finish out the rest of the contract mm -hmm. uh so it really worked out pretty smoothly i didn't have any time off <laughs> but it it worked out pretty smoothly and i'm really you get in, the, in this industry what did you say you just take what you can get in this industry whenever you get it you really do. I mean, even just the the flight to New York was overnight for me because I I needed to be there and that was the best that I could do. So, yeah, you you take what you can get and you make it work and you, yeah, it's that's just the way it works. If you want to make it, that's what you got to do. Yeah. And so recently you started something called 32 Bar Cut, is that right? Yeah, I did. That's yes. the YouTube channel. Right. So, would you tell me more about it? How you started it? What's it all about? Oh, I would love to. Okay, so 32 Bar Cut was kind of my answer to all the angst I was feeling of just not performing and not engaging and not just communicating with people in a way that, that I was used to doing on a regular basis for the past, I don't know, four or five years. So uh, in May, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to do a blog. I'm going to do a blog. And that blog eventually just turned into a blog slash YouTube channel. And basically the channel or blog is a way for me to just offer whatever I've learned about the business, be it audition advice or career advice, or just what I've encountered, what has worked for me, what I think would work for other people, what I think people might be the myths of the business that people are like, you know, I thought it was always this way. I just want to say, no, it's like this, it's this simple. It's this cut and dry. Like I want to reach out to the community of actors who are curious about what it means to be on Broadway and how to get there and what it takes to stay there and how it feels and, you know, just all of that. And then I also sing a song every week. So I'm also expressing you know, what works in my audition book and what I think might work for other people or what, what types of songs they should have in their book. I'm talking about that a little bit too, but mainly it's an advice channel just to give people a little more insight into this world so that it doesn't feel so mysterious. Because I feel like when you're in it, you don't realize that, you know, your, your journey was very specific, but other people just think, you know, they might have all kinds of opinions on how you got there. And I just want to clear some of that up so that people feel confident that they can make it too, really. That's amazing. That's so cool. And Thank you. Yeah. And would you be maybe thinking of continuing it 
once Broadway reopens? You know what? I'm actually really excited about that challenge because to be honest with you, it is a lot of work. I'm sure you know you're doing this podcast. It's got to be a lot of work. But what's lovely about it is that it's something other than The Lion King or other than whatever show I'm working on. And and I'm sure that my fellow actors can uh, agree with me a little bit on this, but sometimes when you're caught up in your work, it's like all you can see and it's all you think about. And this channel is giving me an opportunity to focus on something else that's self-driven and that's kind of an offering to the community. And I, it, I get, whatever I'm putting into it, I'm getting it right back. So I feel like it's gonna, it's gonna make me happier, a happier person, even when I'm back at the Lion King too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, and that's really cool because do whatever makes you happy, right? Yeah, easier said than done, honestly. That's, that's true, that's also true. Um, so I want to touch back upon when you went to an equity show and you got cast in an equity brush. Wait, so first, I just want to tell the people who are listening who don't know what equity is. It's basically the actors union. And essentially, to be in an equity approved show, most people need to be affiliated with equity in some way because of payments and contracts and all of that type of stuff. But I actually just wanted to ask you, how does it work when you actually get cast in the equity show as non-equity? And does your equity status affect how far you go in the audition process? Absolutely. Those are really good questions. So um, when I was cast in Porgy and Bess and also the subsequent shows I did right after that, because it took me three years to get my equity card, I... uh, so equity members are protected by certain rights. They only work a certain amount of hours each day, each rehearsal. They have to be notified within a certain amount of time of rehearsal changes. And uh, they have a certain meal and they have voting rights. Um, by certain meal, I mean they have they can decide if they want their meal to be an hour or an hour and a half, depending on the work day. When you are not equity and you're working in an equity show, you do benefit from those rights you do benefit while the other equity actors are benefiting but when it comes to like costume fittings I remember this so specifically I was called for a 9 a.m costume fitting uh while we were doing Porgy and Bess when everyone else that was equity had to be called within the rehearsal time so it's things like that that um producers or or theaters will take advantage of because they know that you're not equity so that means that they can call you outside of the 10 to 6 mm-hmm. parameter that the that, uh, rehearsals are usually set in um i'm trying to think what else of course you don't have health benefits um but what is great is whenever you work for an equity theater if you're non-equity you have the opportunity to work towards your equity weeks so once you get a certain amount of equity weeks and forgive me i don't remember how many it is i think it's 50 <laughs> weeks 50 weeks weeks for your emc perfect that makes sense so um yes i kind of remember that so you can you can gain weeks i do not remember oh my gosh (laughs) you can gain weeks as you work for the equity houses so that's always a benefit what i did the the biggest changes i saw when i switched over from non-equity to equity was the most immediate change was pay like my pay bumped up almost 75 percent 
60%, 75%. Yeah. And, um, and I was able to get health insurance and I, I was, I had voting rights within each show and I just felt established. I felt like it was definitely a shift for my career to have that equity card. And most importantly, when you show up for equity auditions, you can make an appointment. Uh, if you just show up, you get to go before everyone else there, unless they're equity also. So it's, it, there's a lot of advantages to it. Yeah, so that was actually going to be my next question. This is a bit of an awkward thing to talk about, but you're not paid the same equity salary if you're working in an equity show as a non-equity member, right? That's true. I think that the theaters are only obligated to pay you their minimum. And that depends on whatever tier, whatever equity tier they're on. Um, And for Chicago, they have quite a few tiers. Um, But yeah, I... It's it's bare sometimes it's barely livable wages, <laughs> and uh, I I usually always had some type of survival job. I was pretty fortunate that a lot of my survival jobs. By survival job, I mean it's a job that you work that has nothing to do with the career you're focused in, but it pays your bills. And so when I was doing Porgy and Bess, I was a hostess at a restaurant, and they knew that I was rehearsing, so they gave me the rehearsal time off. And when I started back uh, with that restaurant, I only worked on Mondays. And they, they just, they were kind to me and they let me do that. Monday was our day off from the show. But that was the only way I was able to do this theater thing and pay my bills. Yeah, so I would love that you brought that up because that's a really big thing that a lot of people who aren't actors or not in the business yet really wonder about. How do you, how do you first, how do you find um, a job that a survival job that allows you to be so flexible with all the auditions? How do you go to auditions and have time for the job? How do you, you know, still maintain the job when you're working? Like, how does all of that work? For me, I did all of that in Chicago. And what I did was I chose jobs that were naturally flexible. So I did have my boyfriend at the time, but now my husband, I had his car a lot whenever I needed it. So I actually delivered groceries for Instacart. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company. Yeah. Yeah. So with Instacart, it's a mobile app and service. And so you're able to log in and say, I'm going to work from two to six today, or I'm going to work from 10 to one today. And so that was a flexible job for me. I worked a few restaurant jobs. Those were flexible. I worked for a high-end restaurant that was only open in the evenings. And so when I wasn't doing a show, I was able to do auditions during the day and then go to that job at night. Uh, I also worked at Starbucks for nine months and I specifically asked for the morning shift in my interview. And I was very open about my career goals and why I wanted to work at Starbucks because they had such an early morning crew. And so I worked from 5.30 a.m. until 10 a.m. so that I would have the day to go to auditions. And when I worked at Starbucks, I had an agent at this point and they sent me on a lot of commercial auditions. Chicago is a huge commercial market. Massive, yeah, they have huge advertising firms in Chicago. So they book a lot of commercials out of Chicago. 
when it comes to commercial auditions, sometimes you get hours notice. So I needed to be flexible and available at a moment's notice. I like had headshots on me all the time. So those are the jobs I worked primarily that allowed me to be flexible. The last survival job I had in Chicago was at Second City and that I was a, a server at Second City. And that was probably the hardest serving job I had because you are waiting tables, there's a comedy show going on. Uh, they definitely had a culture there where they wanted you to upsell, upsell. And that's just not really my bag. Like I don't wanna make people buy food or drink. Either you want it or you don't. So I was not really excelling at that job. And I, um, that was actually the last job I worked before I booked Dirty Dancing and left for tour. But basically, I, my advice if you're trying to get a survival job is to be upfront. It may cost you the job here and there, but as long as you're upfront in the interview process and you explain to them that you are a hard worker and that you do put in effort in everything you do, but your primary focus is this, any job manager that can deal with that will respect you being upfront. And so that's what I did each and every time. And it worked out for me. Um, that formula worked for me. I don't know if it works for everyone, but it, it definitely worked for me and <laughs> I was able to pay my bills. That, that's very important because you don't know when your next job is going to be. And then in between jobs, would you pick up more shifts or less shifts? Or So like you generally chose jobs where you could almost, I'm putting this in quotes, but like make your own work hours. Exactly. That was that was what I really tried to do. And I became friendly with my coworkers too. So for when I was working at restaurants or even at Starbucks, I would be friendly with my coworkers and anytime I could pick up a shift for them, I would so that they would return the favor for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I just want to touch back on one more thing about equity. Can you get your equity weeks? Um, working in a non-equity theater or does it have to be in an equity tiered theater you can only get your equity weeks working at an equity theater period it's the only way to do it um the the benefit to being non-union because we didn't really talk about that there are some benefits to being non-union is that you can build up your resume without having to only work at equity theaters. Because in Chicago, there are hundreds of theaters. There's probably a hundred storefront theaters in Chicago and they are non-equity. So that means that if you are non-union, you can work in equity houses and non-equity houses and you can keep building up your resume. And the chances of you maybe working a principal role rather than an ensemble role at a non-equity theater is greater. And so that you can get those principal roles on your contract and just gain experience without having the burden of only being able to work at equity houses. Once you go equity, you're, you cannot work at a non-union house ever again. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense as well, because then a lot of things that come with the benefits of being equity kind of go away if you're able to work, you know, wherever you want to. Mm hmm. So at, right at the beginning of this, you said that you actually started off as a choral um, teacher. That's what you wanted to do. And then you moved into opera. So today, let's say, if you get an opportunity to work in an opera show or do something like that, would you go back to that? Or 
are you kind of more focused on the musical theater road now? Opera is tough. Honestly, it's oh, a so very, hard. So it's hard. such, it's so hard. It's like the Olympics of singing. That's why and they give you like 48 hours between shows because you need to rest. Absolutely. You need to rest. And I respect that. I wish that there was more time off in between these Broadway shows because some of them are Olympian type shows. I mean, let's Hamilton. Okay. Oh, but so um, I think if I were offered something that allowed me to sing classically again, I would have a couple of feelings about it. I would be excited because I still try to keep those chops up, but I would also be so scared because I've been away from it for so long. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm always up for a challenge. If, I, if someone offered me another opportunity to sing classically on stage, I would put in the work, I would call up my voice teacher and I'd get ready for it. I would welcome it. I welcome most opportunities, really. Now, if somebody wants me to get on stage and tap, that's another thing. But if they want me to get on stage and <laughs> sing classically, I am so down for it. Yeah, and you're right. Opera is so incredibly hard to navigate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so your first national tour was Dirty Dancing. And so did you... so? how do you navigate the whole world of touring? Because you don't just have the, you know, hard part of performing every night. You have to incur those extra obstacles, traveling. You could get sick in a city where you don't know, you know, healthcare, like planes and time difference and just traveling gets you tired and change of venues and all of that. So how do you, how, just how do you navigate that type of thing? That's such a good question because tour life is very unique, right? Um, for me, I joined Dirty Dancing as a replacement. So the tour company was already established and I found that to be a unique challenge because up until that point, every company I had ever joined, we all joined together and we all got to get to know each other together. We had that bonding experience. And because I was coming into tour, a tour that was already established, I only had a couple of people that reached out to me initially and I really appreciate them because they made me feel welcomed when everyone else was just, not that everyone else was being mean or anything like that. They were just, you know, going about their lives. They were, you know, minding their business. Uh, but uh, my friends, Sean and Alana, they reached out to me when I first joined the tour and befriended me and made me feel really comfortable. So that was the first thing that really helped me with tours, just establishing some friendships. Then the second thing was, well, what do I do all day? <laughs> like we've gone to this new city. I want to explore the city, but I also don't want to tire myself out uh, before the show tonight. So I had to figure out what that rhythm for me looked like. When would I choose to go out? When would I choose to rest? And I still wanted to take advantage of learning these new cities. We were traveling all over the US and also in a few cities in Canada and I wanted to explore. So finding that balance. The third thing was trying to stay fit, physically fit because on tour, unless you set out to get an Airbnb or a hotel that has a kitchen, you're purchasing a lot of your food. And for me, naturally, whenever I'm purchasing food instead of cooking it, I gain weight. Uh, because I don't know what's in the food. There's usually a higher sodium content. And 
like I'm I'm really not interested in gaining weight on tour. Like no one's trying to refit my costume. So that was another challenge. It's just it's great that you're in hotels that have fitness rooms, so you need to work out a schedule and just stay motivated to do that schedule. Um so for me, those were the most challenges. And then of course I was missing uh, my fiance at the time, husband now, and just navigating that and making sure that we kept our relationship intact because you have the time changes when you go to, you know, when I was going to the West Coast, it was a couple of hours difference and he was working on a show in Chicago. So he was busy. We were just trying to navigate all that. Um, tour is not for the light of heart. It is definitely for people that can handle the different challenges that come in. And also because you're kind of in a, sub community uh, of just the people you're traveling with. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who is easily influenced by others, then definitely have to be careful of who you pick to be your tribe because you're going to be around them all the time. They're going to influence you and what you do and the choices you make. So it's just good to stay grounded and be surrounded by people who make you better and keep you focused. And that's what I learned from my five months being on tour and um it's really helpful would i want to do tour again i don't know maybe for the right show but for now i'm happy just staying in one place and so when you move to different venues obviously um did you guys have a rehearsal time before you performed in each venue like a full out or was it more just like marking everything we did a sound check for every new city and that was always full voice and in the general area of where you would be on stage. So that actually was really helpful. A lot of the cast, because uh, Dirty Dancing was mixed with singers, actors, and dancers. So when the singers are doing the sound check, the rest of the cast is like talking and chattering. And so that was a little frustrating, but the, the sound check was very important because each venue has its own sound system and there are different spots or dead spots on the stage where you can't hear as well as you'd like to. So that's your chance to communicate that to the sound engineer, which was, I, I loved that part, loved and hated that part. <laughs> um, and then we, uh, the dancers also had a dance call and there was a fight scene in the show. So there was also a fight call and uh, I believe and I can't remember because I wasn't involved in either of those two, but I believe that the dance call were for the lifts, any kind of crazy right. lifts that would happen just so that the dancers could touch each other and agree and be on the same page. Uh, there were some injuries here and there. So sometimes there would be an understudy on to cover for a dancer or a singer. Um, but that's usually, that was the routine that we established for every city that we hit. And there were some stints where we would be in a city for three weeks or four weeks. So we only did that sound check the first Tuesday. And then after that, we didn't need another sound check um, unless something came up, but usually no, nothing would come up. Yeah. And so like you said, you did your first sound check on Tuesdays and then you would perform for however long, depending on the schedule. So would you have a break between your flight landing or your bus arriving or whatever in the new area and then before that sound check or would it be you arrive Monday night Tuesday morning you start well it or was generally like, like this so say we finished a city on Sunday night 
our flight out or our bus out, depending on how close the city was, uh, was the next morning. And then we kind of had the rest of Monday free. And then on Tuesday, I think that the sound check was about 6 p.m. usually, 6 p.m., 5.30, something like that, the Tuesday night before our performance in that new city. So we really had- Hmm? And then you'd start with the Wednesday show. No, we would start with the Tuesday evening show. We'd have the sound oh. check on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So say we had the sound check Tuesday at 5.30. We'd have an 8 p.m. show that night oh, or wow. 7.30 p.m. show that night. Yeah. So usually when you go to the theater for the sound check, you just stay. You do the sound check for half an hour, 45 minutes, and then you go to your dressing room and you get ready and do the show. Right. And uh, depending on the city, we had a Wednesday matinee or we didn't. We might have a five-show weekend instead. Um, and then if we were staying in the city for a few weeks, then the only time we really didn't have our Monday was the travel day. And then the other Mondays we would have off, they call them like golden days where they're untouchable. They won't call you for any kind of rehearsal or anything. You can go off and do something in the city. Mm -hmm. Those are so important, like just in general, just having that time for your body to just, you know, recover from a week of nonstop and you'd still do eight shows a week on tour. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tour is definitely still eight shows a week. The benefit to tour for the contract I was on at least, which was production D was that they do something like they call it dynamic pricing. So when you get to a market where they have overpriced the tickets a little bit, you, uh, you, everyone in your company gets money back from that. So if there were times where we would be in a city and the dynamic pricing had been going on for months, and so then we would get a check weeks later to, uh, that was the money from all of that dynamic pricing, and they, they split it amongst everyone equally. So sometimes you get an extra $200, sometimes you get an extra $1,250. It, it wow. would depend on, yeah, it would depend on what city you were in. And it was, it was pretty cool. It was a nice cushion. Now, when you get to Broadway, that does not happen. Yeah, there so could is you explain something... a little bit more about what dynamic pricing is? And then you said production D was a type of contract. So what are mm-hmm. the other types? Um, so ooh, I don't really know much about contract language, but production D is that they, they provide housing or they give you the op- they give you a per diem and you pay for your housing with that per diem and they offer housing options. So a lot of people on my tour, uh, they room together or they would get Airbnbs so that they could keep their costs down and save as much money as they could. Because if you're doing tour right, you're saving money. Tour is a great way to save money. Uh, the other thing is the per diem also covers your food and they also cover your travel expenses. So you have the option to take the buyout. If you find a cheaper flight or something like that, you can take the buyout from whatever they were going to spend for your flight, take the money from that and purchase your own flight. Okay, uh, those are the options. Whatever with- to spare, depending on the price of your ticket. Exactly. So those are the options that I remember for production D. Um, The Lion King tour is on a production contract. So their rules are a bit different. I haven't, I haven't been on the Lion King tour, so I don't know the details of it all. Uh, And I wish I could explain that for you guys, but I just, I don't know it enough and I don't want to speak, 
you know, the wrong course, thing. Yeah. Um, and you had another question about yeah, it. Uh, dynamic pricing. What exactly is that? So dynamic pricing is my understanding that dynamic pricing is a marketing tool. So if they're selling, say they are selling tickets for dirty dancing and tickets go on sale in September. And when tickets go on sale, they're 50 bucks each. And then as it gets closer to the date and the demand gets greater, but the supply gets lower, they raise the price of the tickets. And so that's called dynamic $60, for example. $60 up to who, who knows? I mean, people were paying. It depends paying. on the market. It depends on the market, absolutely, and what that market can sustain and the interest of the show. Yeah. And then, and then the extra money that they charge, you could say, so let's say they, the original price was $50 and then the dynamic pricing was 60 closer to time. Then that extra $10 is that what would be split equally among the rest of the cast? Is that what you were talking about? Well, let me get more specific with that. So when the producers reach out to these different theaters in these markets, in these cities, they agree that they will make this X amount of dollars for this show. And anything they make over that is divided and, and split up. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's the so, best way to explain it. Yeah. Okay. So the dynamic pricing, technically, you could raise the prices later to, um, towards the actual show date, but it could just meet like the minimum of what they were expected to make. And then you wouldn't get anything above that, even though dynamic pricing was in place. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, this is kind of a question that I ask everyone, but I think it's pretty interesting to talk about. And it's, what is your dream role? And it's a very, very vague question. It doesn't have to be in theater. It doesn't, like, just what is that one project where you just always wanted to do it? I want to do something that feels authentically me, that I enjoy waking up doing, and that makes me feel a little challenged, but challenged in a way that's exciting rather than scary. <laughs> um, what I really love is animation voiceover work. Okay. I got an opportunity to do one animation for a grad student in Chicago about, ooh, I wanna say it was about seven years ago. It's a really cool YouTube channel uh, called McTucky Fried High. And it's, it's just great. It's great for the youth. I don't want to speak too much about it. If, you, if you're interested, go check it out on YouTube, yeah, Kentucky yeah, Fried High. Very cool, very cool show. I play the character of Peanut. Um, his voice is kind of like this. But um, I, I just want, I would love to do animation. I would love to be able to create a character and give them life. That would be my dream. And I can't wait for the opportunity to actually do that. But I would just love to do animation. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds so cool and so different from everything that has been said previously. That's, that's so cool. And is there a specific genre of animation or just something like that that you'd prefer to try? I definitely like the idea of something on a network, maybe not so much a video game. I know that that's really popular now. Uh, I would certainly wouldn't turn it down, yeah. but um, I really like this, uh, the idea of something that's episodic 
and that, you know, teaches a lesson at the end of the episode, something like that. That's, yeah, that sounds really cool. And I just have to say again, it's so, it's so unique and so different. And I think it, I think that's really cool. Thank and, you. Yeah. And so we've talked about dream roles, but I want to talk about it a bit about your past productions that you've been a part of. So what has been not your favorite, but that one production that you've been a part of before, that if you had the if you had to choose one to do again, which one would it be and why? And it could be because of the cast or because of the music or, you know, whatever factors into it. Oh, wow, that's a great, that's a great question. If I could do another production again, uh, that's hard because I have had some amazing casts. I've made some lifelong friends with my cast. Oh man. Oh, that's hard. I can only pick one, right? You can um, pick two if you have to, but no more than that. Okay, okay. Uh, if I could do a role again, especially now that I'm older, it would definitely be the color purple. They cast me as Suge Avery and I was so terrified to do Suge. I just would love another shot at doing it again and not feeling all that fear, releasing that fear and just walking uh, very empowered in that role. I think, you know, now that some years have passed and I've experienced more about life and even just, just grasping everything by the reins and really taking hold of it, I, I think I would, I would handle Sugar Avery a lot differently. So that's a role I definitely would do again. And I absolutely love the cast, so I wouldn't mind hanging with them again. Yeah. And uh, for cast, definitely, that's too hard of a question to answer. I've, I've loved every single cast I've worked for. I would work with them again. So yeah, Sugar Avery is the role I would try to do again. Yeah, and that's and The Color Purple is such an amazing show. It such an amazing really, show. Really it's like it truly is. So if you, I mean, if anyone's listening and hasn't checked out, at least the soundtrack, the cast recording for it, you must go do that. It is such an incredible show. So final question now. Do you have any advice for people who want to go into the performing arts industry? Good question. Good question. This wouldn't be an interview without that question. You knew it was um, coming. <laughs> my advice, and this is strictly through my experience and what I wish someone had told me, is to, and this is easier said than done, is to just really try to walk fearlessly. And when you start feeling those fearful feelings, just try to remind yourself that it's a good thing. It means that something exciting is about to happen because you're afraid of it, you know? So that every time I'm afraid of something, it means something exciting is about to happen. That's been proven time and time again. And so just walk fearlessly because fear is a good thing. Embrace it, ride the wave of that fear and, and, and allow it to excite you. And honestly, when you walk into an audition, no one, the casting director does not want to see someone who's afraid. It just makes them uncomfortable. They want to see you shine. And that's your chance. It's your audition. So I would just say that as much as you can, walk fearlessly. And if that means for you being yourself, be yourself. If that means for you trying something new that you've never tried before, 
do that. If that means for you going to your first Broadway audition, even though you've been, you know, really scared to step out there, do that. If it means trying a new career for the first time, do that, but walk fearlessly. That's so cool. Like that's such a good piece of advice. And especially with the whole industry, you know, especially now with there's so much uncertainty about how it's going to, how it's going to come back and when it's going to come back. I think that's really, really important. So we've unfortunately come to the end of what I would say <laughs> was a very, very interesting conversation. Absolutely. I had a great time. Yeah. And no, I, I really did too. It was really cool learning about what you had to say. It was really interesting. So thank you, thank you for joining me so much today, Adrian. Absolutely. Well, you take care and I am looking forward to the rest of your podcast episodes. This is pretty amazing that you're doing this. Thank you. And I just want to give another big thank you to everyone who tuned in. So look out for future episodes airing every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.